you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to open up to the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, near the end of that Old Testament, um, and look in chapter 6 of Daniel. We'll be there today. Uh, if you don't own a Bible of your own, uh, we have some that you can uh, take with you before you leave today. We've got them under our seats. Feel free to take those home with you. Uh, but we'll be in Daniel chapter 6. Um, Let's have a quick recap of where we've been because we've been through a lot of history. Uh, when we met Daniel in chapter 1, he was just 15 years old. He was in exile from Jerusalem. He was a Jewish young man who'd been brought into Babylon under the service of the king. Uh, and over the course of the last uh, six chapters, Daniel has served under several kings. We met uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Then we met uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son and his grandson, Belshazzar. And, and then last week, we saw the fall of Babylon as Belshazzar lost his life and the Medo-Persian Empire moves in. And so through this book, we actually get like this little spyglass view at world history. It's pretty incredible, some of the things that go down in the story of Daniel. Now we have a new king, and his name is Darius. They call him Darius the Mede. Uh, Darius is actually more of a ceremonial name. He had another name, but there were a lot of King Dariuses, and I think that uh, what I read this week was that Darius was a title that means like the one who holds the scepter or something like that. And so this is Darius the Mede. Now, typically, when a new king takes over a kingdom, specifically like a whole new regime, this is the Babylonians being overthrown by the Medo-Persians, uh, Darius the Mede comes in, typically... All the old regime is thrown out, right? We saw last week King Belshazzar was killed. He's gone. Most of his advisors would be gone. The palace staff would be replaced by who? Well, by people that the new king wants, right? And so that's the way it normally works. And, and I, I assume that that happened a lot at this thing, at this takeover. But what's interesting is that when we see Daniel's life, for some reason, Daniel gets to stick around. The story of Daniel is incredible because it's like this dude... He's, he's like one of those bouncy balls, you know? Like you just keep throwing him at the ground. He just keeps bouncing back. And you can just keep going and going. No matter what hits Daniel, he bounces right back from it. Because of his reputation, because of his integrity, because of the things that other people said about him, we'll find Daniel is someone who keeps his position and not only keeps the position of, of authority in the Babylonian kingdom that he has. He had been an advisor to the king, uh, considered a wise man, a sage. He gets a promotion, he gets a promotion. Now, you got to remember, when we first met Daniel, he was like 15 years old. But now Daniel is in his mid-80s. Not many people getting promotions in their mid-80s. Like most of us, when we're in our 80s, we'll be like glad that we could drive ourselves to the grocery store. Like we'll, be, we'll be thrilled, right? We can make it through the whole night without having to get up to go to the bathroom. This is, this is Daniel in his 80s getting a promotion in government. And so we see uh, this as we jump into chapter 6, that right off the bat, Darius has a plan with Daniel. Let, let's, let's look, go ahead and jump in. Daniel chapter 6 will be in verse 1, and this is how it jumps in. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was who? Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, to the, uh, to the administrators, so that the king might not suffer loss. Uh, history remembers King Darius as a, as a good king, and he was a great administrator, and he had a good system, and he led well. And so one of the things we see here is that he had appointed 120 what they call satraps. These are uh, regional rulers, and these are people who, I mean, think of them maybe as governors. We have governors over each state, okay? So he's got these, these regional rulers. This is not rocket scientists, a science. Other administrators had done this, but, it, but he does this in, in a good way, and I guess he appoints good people. And then over them, he appoints three administrators and the satraps answer to the administrators and of course the three men that are the administrators they answer to the king it's just this hierarchical system well of the three administrators of this new kingdom one of them is daniel daniel the 80 something year old jewish exile daniel he was one of the three most powerful people in the kingdom outside of darius himself 
And so what does Daniel do? Well, he continues to do what he's always done. He stands as a God chaser in a world that is not about chasing God. The reason that we focus on Daniel through this, this uh, like six-week series is because, man, when you look at that dude's life, he just overcomes odd after odd, adversity after adversity, temptation after temptation, fear after fear, and continues to rise above it and say, I'm going to stand for God no matter what. I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand. So we've learned a lot about how we might stand in our world as well. And of course, Daniel's in this new position as an administrator, and he's doing really good work. It's so good, in fact, that not only does he get a promotion to be an administrator, he gets another promotion on top of that, as if that wasn't good enough. Look at verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom so that it would be King Darius, then Daniel, then everybody else. This is history. Maybe you grew up in like church and you've heard this story before. That doesn't surprise you. Of course it is. Daniel. No, like he's a foreigner. He's not even, he's not even one of them. He is an exile that was basically a slave that came in to assist the king. And he's worked his way all the way up. Not only is he one of the top three administrators, he's the one. He's the main guy. When people do well, most of the time, we're happy for them, right? You're, you're generally happy for people, unless they're Dallas Cowboys fans, and then you get nothing but grief, I've found. Not everyone, though, is patting Daniel on the back. You probably experienced this, too, because not everybody's excited when people do well, are they? Let's keep reading, verse 4. Just the first half of verse 4. We're going to look at the second half in a second. The first half of verse 4 says, at this, at this promotion, the administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Stop right there. Why? He's doing good. Why would you want that? You would think that these political leaders, let's call them politicians, you, you would think that they would want what was best for their country. However, we've just been through an election cycle. And we know that there's more to elections than just wanting the best thing for your country, right? For example, winning elections, right? I mean, it's about my career. It's about my promotion. You know, I really think I'm doing a good job, but I could probably do better. And that's the idea. Uh, that's how politics work. It's all how we all work. We, we would love to have our agenda pushed through, our thing pushed through. And so not only are they concerned about the kingdom, which they probably are, but they're looking out for themselves, looking out for their careers, for their families. And they have a big beef with Daniel being in charge. What do you think that was? He was a Jew. I need to remind you, Babylon is, is where present-day Iraq is, okay? And the Jews are not real popular around that neck of the woods. Not much has changed. And they've got a lot of problem with this Jewish exile who's shown up and shown us all up, and now he's in leadership above me? What? I'm not cool with that. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to find some dirt on him. They're, they're, they're going to try to dig up some dirt on Daniel and hopefully cause him to lose his job. This is an impeachment, people. This is, this is like we are going to see what we can do to get Daniel thrown out. They're starting a smear campaign. And so, after all, Daniel's been in service for like 70 years. How hard could it be to find some skeletons in his closet? Can, can you think of a government leader that probably after seven years has no skeletons in their closet? You know, it's a difficult thing. So they begin to dig. They're looking for a sketchy situation with a secretary, you know, or like a mismanagement of some government funds. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for something that would discredit him and get him cut down. But guess what? Look at the second half of verse 4. Verse 4b, it says, but 
they were unable to do so. <laughs> they could find no corruption in him. That's impressive. I just got to say, that's impressive. Because he was trustworthy, he was neither corrupt nor negligent. How many government officials do you think we have in our government right now who we could say, man, after several decades of service, no skeletons in the closet, not even like an unpaid parking ticket? Like, this is, now, I, wanna, I don't want to paint the disillusion for us that, we, uh, that Daniel was perfect. I don't think Daniel would want us to think that about him. He had his failures. But the thing to point out is that he had nothing hidden. There was nothing like hidden under the rug or in a closet somewhere that nobody knew about. I mean, he, he was an honest guy. I think there's a lot to learn there for all of us in our positions. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to screw up from now and then. It's okay to make, you know, missed turns in our life. But the point is, every turn, I'm standing for God. Every turn, I'm going to be a God chaser, even if it means I'm going to own up to the things in my life that might not be perfect. And so they can't find anything to blame him for. So we get to verse 5, okay? And finally, these men say this. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... Unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Aha. I imagine this board meeting, right? They're sitting around. They've got like the, the whiteboard out. and They've scratched this idea, scratched that idea. Like, oh, how are we going to get Daniel? And then some smart guy goes, Daniel's a good Jew. The, the good Jews are really strict about their law. What if? What if we could catch him in a loophole? Like what if we could pin him down on something that he is going to fail at? Because we know what kind of good guy Daniel is. And I just imagine there was this high-fiving going on. They're like, yeah, and they're, yeah, we're going to get him out of office. Uh, these men were determined to hurt Daniel. And as we're in this series called Stand, it brings to mind a question that I want to spend a little time on today. Um, I, let me set it up with a story, okay? Um, do you remember when you were a kid and you used to play that game in the swimming pool where your friend would, like, think of a color, right? You know the game? And they think of color, they're thinking blue. And they're holding you like, like in a cradle position. And then your job is to guess the color that they're thinking. And if you get it wrong, what do they do? Come on, y'all don't go to the pool? You don't have kids? What do they do? They dunk you in the water. Blue, wrong, pink, wrong, yellow. And it's over, dunk, 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 dunk. Sorry, wrong answer. Uh, sometimes life can feel like that. Sometimes I feel like I'm supposed to read someone's mind. I'm supposed to read life's mind and guess what it's thinking for me. And then if I get it wrong, life is like, sorry, dunk, sorry, dunk. There's a truth in that that I think is true in all of our lives. There are times in life when it just, and it's the same thing that's happening to Daniel right now, that we're doing everything we can to live the best we know how. We're not perfect, but we're doing the best we know how. And no matter what we do, it's like there's something pushing us down again. You hearing me today? Dunk, dunk, dunk. Stuff that you're not even expecting. And so there's this question, how do I stand as a God chaser when I keep getting pushed down? How am I supposed to stand? Maybe it's a sucker punch. Finding out you lost your job. I didn't see it coming. I was doing everything I can, and bam, got laid off. Man, maybe it's the ambush of an unexpected pregnancy or some other unexpected thing in your life. What? How are we getting pushed down right now? It's not what we were expecting. How is this, this going to let us continue to do what we were planning? Or maybe you get T-boned by that backstabbing friend. Things are going great, and then, whoa. How are we supposed to stand as God chasers when it seems like there's other things trying to push us down? Have you ever tried to stand up while someone else was pushing against you. You get off balance. You fall on one foot, you fall on the other, and sooner or later you're bound to trip, and you're bound to bust your head. 
I think we've all experienced this pushing down. Um, early in my ministry as a pastor, I've been doing this about 15 years, and uh, I was serving at a pretty, pretty traditional church. And I had a lot of good experiences there. I've said that up front. I had a pretty, some really good experiences there. I made some really good friends there, lifelong friends. Uh, I was hired initially to be their worship leader, much like what Aaron does here. Uh, and uh, some of the church leaders hired me. There was a very traditional church, literally singing with uh, organ and, and like uh, people on stage singing hymns and stuff. Uh, the, the leaders had hired me to bring in more modern stuff, more modern music and things closer to what we do here. Uh, but not everyone at the church was on board with that. Maybe you have attended that church, right? The problem was I was hired to do that thing. I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, sure, that sounds great. I bring in my guitar, I bring in my band, and it didn't take long for the people who didn't, uh, weren't on board with what we were doing there to let me know it, that they hated what I was doing. They, they didn't want new music. They didn't want guitars. They didn't want new songs. And they were very vocal about it. Uh, they let me know, and the drowning began. One guy said, I see you got a guitar and some drums up there on stage. You know, we might as well install some dancing poles and hire some go-go girls to come in here and dance during service. And I'm not sure what go-go girl wants to dance the 90s worship music, but, like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, dude, that's cold. Like, what are you doing? Dunk me. Dunk me. And it started with comments about the music, um, but the truth was I represented something that they, they weren't comfortable with. And so the criticism began to get personal. My hair was too long. My pants were too baggy. My shoes weren't nice enough. Uh, my wife wore flip-flops to church one time. And a, an older lady in the church came to her and said, Honey, one day you'll grow up and be mature and you'll know better. I'm like, what? Talk to my wife like that. <laughs> one guy wrote ugly notes and put them in the offering plate and said, You'll get my money when that dude's fired. Dunk. Dunk, dunk. I've got to tell you, there were really good people at that church. Very good people that I loved and have lifelong relationships. But you know, it only takes a few people to push you down. And there were many times where I almost just gave up. Like, dude, I got some other talents. Like, I could, for real, uh, in the words of LeBron James, I could take my talents somewhere else, you know? And there were many days where I'm like, I quit. To the point where I might not be standing on this stage right now because of the comments of some of those people. Dunk, dunk, dunk. How do you stand as a God chaser when it's like other people are just trying to push you down? These government leaders, they, they were after Daniel. They wanted to see him fail. He stood for something that they didn't like, and they were going to do whatever it took to get him out of position. And I don't think, I don't think that it was easy for Daniel. But somehow he was able to stand. And it wasn't because he had good balance. <laughs> There was something else pouring in to Daniel. What I want to do today as we finish up Daniel's stories, I want to get to something practical. I want to get something that you can take, especially at this Christmas season when, you know, we put on the happy face and we watch the, how the Grinch stole Christmas and his heart grew three times. And it's like awesome. But like in reality, this is the time of the year where a lot of times we get hit with other things, right? It seems inevitable. Things are going to sucker punch our family and ambush our finances and T-bone uh, our, our children. And, and like stuff is coming out of everywhere and it's just, it's just hitting us. And maybe it's just because of the holiday season that it's just highlighted. But what I want to do is I want to look at three truths that we find in this story from Daniel chapter 6 that will help us to know how to stand strong even while we're being pushed down. I got to give credit to a pastor that I listen to sometimes online named Craig Rochelle. Uh, these three ideas are his, but they're good ones. Uh, the first one is something we've already touched on and we're going to get into a little bit more. The first one is this. This is the first truth, guys. Remember this. <laughs> it hurts a little. When God raises you up, people are going to push you down. 
Sometimes we're like, well, how can I just avoid the pushes? You can't. You can't because people are imperfect. And it's just going to happen. So what I want to do is look back at Daniel and see how he dealt with it. Verse 6 of our chapter, Daniel 6, 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May the king Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce uh, the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius was like, hmm, that sounds pretty cool. And he put the law into writing. This isn't totally strange. If you look through history, a lot of uh, monarchs or emperors, uh, they they were fine with their people viewing them as a deity, right? I mean, you've got the Egyptians, you've got the Roman Empire, you've got uh, Chinese emperors, things like this. it's It's no novel idea for a king to think, hey, that's a great idea. For the next 30 days, let's just worship me. Let's just worship me, that'd be great. So that's what he does. This becomes problematic for Daniel because the other administrators, other administrators knew that Daniel was a man of great faith and a man of consistent prayer. And so what, what's Daniel going to do now? He can't bow down and worship another god, especially not a man. That's completely opposed to what God teaches. This is a plot to trap Daniel. They knew that this would cause problems for Daniel because he was so faithful. I wonder if a law like that was passed today in America... I know we'd say, oh, no, separation of church and state. Just play with me in this, okay? What if a law was passed in America like that today? That no matter who our leader was, there was a period of 30 days that we had to bow down to them. And if we didn't, the penalty was death. Now, right now, we'd be like, that's crazy. No, this was the reality that these people were living in. I'm curious, what would we do? I feel like we might have three options. The first option would just be kind of to go along with the crowd. Let's just do it. It's only 30 days, after all. Let's just, let's just go along with the crowd, and, and before we're all up in arms and say, oh, no, no, I would never do that, I'm just curious. How many of your close friends know way more about your political views than they do about your faith in God? Because we might be leaning closer to that than we realize. But let's just say, what would we do? I think the second option we might have would be to kind of fake it, you know? You fake it. Like, you don't have to, like, really in your heart, you're not really worshiping the king. But, like... I'm still going like, to do, I'm still gonna, like, go to the parties. I'm still going to use the, you know, the ungodly language. I'm, I'm still going to do that, but like, in my heart, like, deep in my heart, like, I don't mean it. I don't really mean it. Because after all, I am going to go to church on Sunday. Or after the 30 days is over, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of, you know, maybe we just kind of fake it. Daniel could have done that. He could have walked out with everybody to worship and just been like, God, I'm just doing this for you right now. So uh, just don't let anybody, you know, he could have he faked it. I think that's what a lot of people might would have done. That's what a lot of people do today. But there's a third option to think about, and it's what it means to actually stand as a God chaser in a world that's not about chasing God. And it might not look exactly like what Daniel's about to do, but it will very rarely look like the first two options. Stand. Just like us, Darius, I'm sorry, Daniel, has a choice to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to worship? I'm going to bow down to the king? I'm going to fake it? What am I going to do? And it isn't an easy decision because his life is on the line. And so he has to seek strength from outside of himself. And so that leads us to uh, this second thought for how we can stand when we're being pushed down. The first one is if we're, if we're going to 
If God's going to rise us up, people are going to push us down. So we've got to find strength. So here's the second idea, that kneeling to pray is what gives us strength to stand. Let's look at verse 10. This is how Daniel does it. So now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his home, to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Love this last phrase. Just as he had done before. This isn't the first time Daniel prayed. Like he was already had a habit of praying. When we face being pushed down, our first response should be to pray. Find strength to stand by going to our knees. And I understand like the, the, the physical thing of going to our knees is an option, but that's not the only way to pray. You can pray while driving your car. You can pray while sitting at a table. You can pray while you know, reaching across the table and holding hands with somebody. You can pray laying in your bed at night. But the idea is going to God and seeking strength for that. It's the first thing we should do, but that's not always our first instinct. Our first instinct when we face a problem, when we hit a wall, is that we want to do everything in our own power first. Like how, can I, how can I deal with this? And we, we, we betray our hearts in our language. We, we have this phrase we use, uh, you know, like we do everything, and then we have this phrase. Well, all we got left to do now is pray, right? It's the last effort. It's a, the it's a very last option. But what we need to say is, first, we need to pray. First. Before I try to fix this by myself, let me first lay this before God. I'm telling you, I don't always do this. I, I try. But it's hard to remember that because in the here and the now and the tangible, we go, what tools do I have at my disposal to fix this? Here's the thing. The most powerful tool you have is an audience with the high king of heaven. And we can go to him and we can pray. First, we need to pray. Prayer is an audience to the throne room of God. It's access to the creator of the universe. And he cares for our intimate needs. Do you notice at the end of the verse, it just says, just as he had always done. See, prayer was already in Daniel's routine. His praying three times a day thing was something that he already did, and so the advisors expected him to do that, like, we're gonna get him. I imagine they were sitting out of his house waiting for him to come to that window that he always goes to that faces Jerusalem. Ha, there he is. Awesome. We got him, but he had this habit, and I think there's something we can learn from that three-time-a-day model. Maybe it's something that you wanna try, like if some praying is something, you're like, how do I start? This three-time-a-day thing, consider this, maybe first thing in the morning, you just get into God's word a little bit. You just wake up, you find a little spot, maybe it's in your car before you go into the office, or it's at your breakfast table, or whatever, and you just, and you just, you just read something. This, this uh, version Bible app is great. It gives you a verse of the day. If you don't have the version Bible app, go to your app store on any smartphone, look up this Bible, Look up Bible, the word Bible, and it's the very first app. They just had their 250 billionth download last week. I just got an email because I subscribed to their newsletter. Like, it's there, and it's really easy. And they've got, they've got daily readings you can do. That's the easy way to start. So start your day with that. Connect with God. That's the way to get on your knees and find power. God, I don't know what's ahead of me today. I know what yesterday was like. I'm going to you. And then, and then the second time, maybe midday, sometime during the midday, you don't have to, like, go to the window at work and, like, put on your special hat and lay out your mat. and like You don't have to do all that. Take a moment and step aside from what you're doing and go, okay, God, halfway through my day, I'm about to eat my lunch, whatever. Just empower me today. Maybe, maybe you could uh, seek encouragement from another Christian person. Send them a text. Hey, how are you doing today? Here's a Bible verse I read this morning. And you'll get in that habit. That's the second check-in of the day. Maybe the third one could be like right as you lay your head down at the end of the day. Reflect on whatever it is. Some of us fall asleep watching Sports Center or whatever it is you do at the end of the day, reading a book. What if instead you do all that stuff, it's fine, but the last thing you do is go to bed with God on your heart. God, fill me up. Tonight, help me be prepared for tomorrow. Reflect on what's happened the day before. This three times a day thing, it, it could be a really strong model, a model, and it could bring us strength 
to stand when we're being pushed down. But I want to tell you this. I recognize we're at different faith levels in this room. Some of you are here for the very first time. You're like, I pray. That's somebody else's job. That's a preacher's job. Like, I come here so you can pray. That's what I'm here for. Here's what I encourage you to do. Just try to start somewhere. Just try. Prayer is a conversation with God. We did a teaching series a couple years ago called The Chair Across the Room. And it was basically like, imagine God sitting in a chair next to you. And you just talk to him about your day. Maybe it's awkward. Maybe it's weird. We have a couple of teaching series on prayer on our podcasts online. Go to jointheventure.com and resources and then podcasts. Um, scroll back in, in a couple, uh, about a year early, uh, January this year, we did one on prayer. A couple, uh, about a year before that, we did another one on prayer. Listen to some of those sermons. Go to our knees to find power to stand. This is where the story gets interesting. Because I wish that I could tell you that if you pray to God, everything will be better all the time, immediately. Boom. Dear God. And God's like, I'm going to Amazon, Amazon rush order you a fix-it kit, right? But God still allows life to happen. He still allows the consequences of our actions to happen. He allows the consequences of other people's actions to interact with our life. He allows our bodies to be temporal so we still might get sick. We still might have cancer. Like those things still happen. God put those systems in place and he's going to let them roll for the most part. So there's still this action of what else? After I pray. Daniel goes to God and prays. And I want to point this out. Like if you grew up in church, I said earlier, this is probably the most famous story from Daniel's life. If you grew up in church, uh, you probably heard this story in church. It's like one of the main kid stories that we teach. Daniel in the lion's den. But you got to remember that when Daniel was going through this in his life, he did not know that he would become a kid's Sunday school story for the next centuries. He had no idea. He just knew the king had issued an edict, and he had to do as he had always done and continue to pray. That's all he knew. He knew that for 80 years, God had been faithful to him, and he wasn't about to stop now. And so Daniel prays like he always did. Well, the administrators, let's get back to the story. The administrators rat him out, of course. They go to Darius. And now the king has got this obligation to follow through. I mean, you're going to be some big, bad, tough king. Like, then you make this issue. Like, if anybody does this, I'm going to throw him in the lion's den. They're like, hey, we got a guy. Oh, man. You got a guy? Daniel? Like, put yourself in the king's shoes because this is the most powerful man in your kingdom other than yourself. You just issued this edict. It was only 30 days. And what does it look like to the people? Like, dude, your main guy can't even listen to you for a month. You need to put the foot down. Verse 14 of chapter 6 is kind of, um, it's kind of sad. Look at verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel, and he made every effort until sunset to save him. You think Darius wanted to throw Daniel in a lion's den and have him executed? No. But King Darius liked Daniel, and he didn't realize that the other administrators were trying to set him up. So he was devastated that he'd have to put this good man to death. But the other advisors reminded him, yeah, hey, our laws can't be broken. This is the thing. You start being weak here, where else is it going to go? So verse 16. In verse 16, it says, The king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And Daniel's tossed in. And the story says that the king went back to his palace, and he was greatly disturbed. He had a sleepless night. He was feeling terrible about the whole thing, and and he woke up early the next morning because he probably was hardly sleeping at all. And he ran to the mouth of the den to see what had happened. Likely, he had gone just to mourn the loss of his friend Daniel. If you know the story, you know what happened. But if you don't know the story, this is pretty exciting because this is like, what? This unexpected thing occurs. If you read it together in verse 21, it says, 
And Daniel answered, time out. Maybe you've gone to a gravestone, like of a, of a dear friend who's passed away, and, and maybe you've stood there and you've spoken to them. It's your dad. Dad, you'd be so proud of your grandson. You, you talk, right? But you don't expect them to talk back, right? You're like, it's be, and if they spoke back, you might, you might just have a moment, you know? You might run and scream. So he's just standing there, and he goes to the mouth of the, the lion's den, and he speaks to Daniel, and it says in verse 21, and we'll keep reading now, Daniel answered, he said, may the king live forever. My God sent an angel, and he shut the mouths of the lion, and they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong, anything wrong before you, your majesty. Now, I don't know the kind of night that Daniel had. We talked about Darius's night, the king. I don't know the kind of night Daniel had. It doesn't tell us. I don't know if he sat in the corner at first, just kind of crying. <laughs> and he notices that the lions aren't coming close to him. I don't know. Maybe he started out like, uh, you like songs? You like songs, cats? Yeah. Row, row, row your boat. All right, second part. You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's doing that. I don't know if he like tried to be nice to the lions. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. I got some kitty treats. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know if he did that. I don't know if maybe he was like, I'm going to fight back. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight these lions. Like that dude that punched a kangaroo. Did y'all see that video? Dude punches a kangaroo. Google. Dude punches kangaroo. You'll, you'll love it. Okay. Um, guy punched a kangaroo. I don't know if he punched a lion in the face. I don't know. But what we do know is an angel showed up and delivers Daniel. Verse 23 says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the dens, then no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then Darius gets a little payback. Verse 24, and at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, those administrators, were brought in. This is harsh. And thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Yeah, don't mess with Darius. Uh, he doesn't play. It says, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Ugh, that kind of ends like a Grimm's fairy tale. <laughs> Sorry about that. But the king was not about to cross Daniel's God again. He learned his lesson just like the kings before him had to learn. Not only does God deliver Daniel... But God also receives much more glory in the process. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar, all the way back at the beginning of the book of Daniel, had done when he experienced the power of God. Verse 25 says this. I love this. It's King Darius. Now a whole new empire has this word. King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every nation on earth. This, again, is, is one of the biggest empires to date. He sends out this letter. He says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree. Remember, he had just issued a decree that you should worship me for the next 30 days. Okay, this is the new decree. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. Can you imagine getting that letter? Who's Daniel? <laughs> okay. They, they may have been going to pray. Dear God of Daniel, um, how did that affect the generations after that? I don't know. And it keeps going. He describes the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. This is an emperor saying this about another, another entity. That's amazing. Verse 27, he rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And then specifically, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And in verse 28, verse 28 lets us know this. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. He gets out, live, or live in the, the reign of two more kings. 
That's the end of that chapter. And as we close, there's a third note. And I said that when God lifts you up, people are going to push you down. And then secondly, so we've got to go to our knees to find the strength to stand, even while people are pushing us. And I think the last lesson is, is this. Trust God with the outcome. If you've been around church and God and Christianity long, you know that this might be the hardest part. Because we go through the motions of praying. We go through the motions of attending church. We go through these motions, but it is so hard to actually trust God with the outcome. Knowing there's going to be there, whatever it is. You know, there's going to be opposition. We talk all the time about the spiritual warfare. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. They don't like the fact that we're trying to shine light into the dark places of this city. They don't like the fact that you're trying to shine light into the dark places of your family and your marriage. They don't like that. There will be opposition. Not to mention the people in your life. The circumstantial opposition. The relational opposition. The financial opposition. All these things that hit us, dunk, dunk, dunk. But we've got to trust God with the outcome. It's easier said than done. I know that from so much personal experience, but I also know that it's worth it. It is so worth it. You can stand. You can face the lions in your life. God will give you the power to stand up under the pressure of being pushed. But don't bow down to give in to the bullies, the circumstantial bullies, the relational bullies, the financial bullies, the powers that want to bring us down. Those things don't have true and lasting power. The true power is in God Almighty, and he will rescue us. He delivered and provided for Daniel, and he continues to provide for those who seek him today. And so after we've done everything we can to stand, continue to stand, because God can give us the power to overcome while we're being pushed. That is Daniel chapter 6. Let's just pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for the opportunity to seek you. Um, I know I've already spoken to some people this morning and, and earlier this week. It's just, you know, the season can be hard and sometimes we just get pushed and sometimes we just get sucker punched and ambushed and T-boned and, and kicked while we're down. But God, you indeed deliver us. And Father, if there's anyone in the room right now who struggles with trusting you with that, Lord, I just pray that you can provide them with someone in this room today that might say, hey, I've been there. I understand, I've done that. Thank you for this community this community of uh, friends and family that we get to do life with together. But we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.